Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's an exciting time of the year for NASCAR, and without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go. My bookie, for the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around, and if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid, my bookie. Today is Tuesday, May 26, 2020, and we have the one and only Jeff Levering on the show today, Milwaukee Brewers radio broadcaster. He also does work for Fox Sports as well as the Big Ten Network. We're talking Brew Crew Baseball, Bob Euchre, broadcasting, all that and more here on episode 197 presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on the Twitter at you guessed it, Belly Up Sports. And if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, head on over to MeccaNutritionStore.com right now to get $20 off your next order using the promo code OSHOW20. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-20. Remember, swole is the goal, size is the prize. Jeff Levering on the O-Show right now. <laughs> Like you got a lot on your plate. You started uh, what was Levering's Chasers today? What, what, what's that all about? Because I was looking at it uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day, uh, obviously raising money for charity. You guys, or at least you, are planning on running across the state of Wisconsin, if I'm not correct? Yeah, it's just it's um, it's it's not a race or anything. It's just you challenge yourself to see how many miles you can run. We got some got about 20 people as part of our group, which is great. Some people that I know, some people that I don't know, but just a challenge to try and get out and be active and run walk get after it and something to do over the summertime oh right i mean that's awesome and then obviously you and your wife have been uh doing those videos on social media which have been oh so entertaining i mean what, what kind of what kind of sparked that idea but or behind some of those ideas you know besides being of course stuck in the house all day yeah it's just a collaborative effort with everybody and and i give my wife a lot of credit for coming up with some fun ideas and it's helpful to have a couple of kids that are running around at five and two years old things that yeah. dull and they like participating in some of our our fun antics and it's been good with some really good ideas the videos I've, I've become a much better editor which is nice i never thought i would dabble into that yeah. after my college situation but um no it's been it's been really good we've had a lot of fun with it and it keeps keeps our minds fresh and keeps ourselves creative yeah i was i was scrolling through a few of them obviously the, uh, the bar scene you and your wife broadcasting outside in the backyard there was the cupcakes from like three years ago that you guys got that were in the freezer that you took out what, what do you think's been the most popular one so far that's a really good question there's there's a handful uh that i think have, have got a lot of traction um 
One was our dance video that we did early that my wife choreographed. Uh, we had some fun with that. It wasn't a, a TikTok, and we didn't have any yeah. dance moves prepared. I mean, she choreographed the whole thing, and uh, we weren't following along with anything, and that certainly was not a one-take situation. So I think that was that was a good one. Um, people liked our There's No Crying in Quarantine video a lot. Yeah. We just changed the No Crying in Baseball and, and did our own lines and stuff. That was pretty good. Um, my son is really big into Dude Perfect and Trick Shots. <laughs> so we, we created our own Dude Perfect situation. And we looked like idiots. Mom and Dad did. But my son was making some pretty cool shots. Those are those are some of the, the highlights. We did some more, the s'more scene from, um, from the Sandlot. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people enjoyed, too. Now, when it comes to all of this, obviously, you've gotten a lot of great feedback on it. Are you going to continue doing it throughout the summer? Or is it going to be like, all right, as soon as this isn't fun anymore, we're just going to stop? Because after that, there's no point. Yeah, I think I think as soon as we stop having a, a good time with it and it becomes a chore, then, um, then that's probably going to be the end of it. Uh, but as long as we're staying creative and it's it's not something that we, we loathe doing, um, then then we'll keep doing it. And people have responded really well. Um, there there were a couple of days where we missed, and some people reached out and said, "What happened to you guys? You guys okay? Yeah. You guys didn't put out a video or send out a picture today? Are you guys doing okay?" But it's been really good. And again, there there aren't a lot of smiles going around these days. And yeah. uh, if we can brighten up a few people's days and and make them feel good about themselves and laugh and just forget about what's going on around the world, then uh, then we're doing our part. Well, that's awesome on your guys' part. And again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day uh, to talk to me here, aspiring sports broadcaster. Uh, you're obviously at the pro level. I, I'm always intrigued to hear how um, you guys got your start in broadcasting. Uh, broadcasters all over the world because I know you played uh, baseball at Chapman and I, I want to know at like what point during your playing days did you realize that you actually wanted to pursue broadcasting I and mean, what was your actual first gig as a broadcaster um, so I didn't realize that I wanted to be a play-by-play guy until my junior year of college um, I did a softball game we had an off night and, and one of my classes a multi-camera television class was going to broadcast a, a sporting event, and they didn't have anybody that wanted to do play-by-play, and I just wanted to test it out and see how, how it was, and if that was the path that I wanted to go down, and I had a blast doing it. Uh, I was terrible, but at the same time, I learned, I learned a lot. Um, and my producer and one of my professors that day, uh, after the game, said, hey, listen, you just need to refine yourself a little bit, and you just got to keep doing it. I think you got a, a pretty good career. So after I heard those things... Uh, from a professor, and, and he kind of built up my confidence a little bit. I, I felt like that was going to be my path. Um, I knew I wasn't going to play professionally, uh, and I didn't really aspire to do that. After I graduated high school, and you know, I had a really good college career and had fun doing it. But that's that's what it was. It was fun and a chance to advance, and we won a national championship. Yeah. And I mean, it was great. It was a great experience. Uh, but the, my first sports gig in the industry, I was an intern my spring semester of my senior year, um, and I, that was at Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket in Los Angeles. I worked out at the Staples Center and started out logging tapes, 
writing down time codes, and then it turned into editing, and, and then once my internship was over, uh, they didn't tell me to stop coming into work, so I just kept showing up, and then they started giving me more work, and more producers hired me to do different shows, and then it turned into a full-time job, Wow! again, just because I kept showing up, and nobody told me not to. Uh, so that's how that way it worked out, and I was there for a year and a half, and then never did my first baseball play-by-play game until the summer of 2006, which was a year after I graduated. Wow. Uh, so I had never done a baseball game until after I graduated from college and stopped playing, and I filled in one day on radio. Uh, I did four or five games that summer, and then ended up getting hired by the team that I filled in for. Um, to be their director of broadcasting and media relations for the, the spring of 2007. Wow. And then that started my eight-year career in the minor leagues, and this would be my sixth year in the big leagues. And that, that's kind of the one thing I wanted to ask you about your time in a Class A when you started in 2007, because you're the director of broadcast and public relations. I can only assume that's so much more work than like that actual title entails because you're probably compiling info, writing articles, you're obviously calling play-by-play, getting interviews, et cetera, et cetera. What were your exact responsibilities as the director of broadcast and public relations that year? Everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wore, in the minor leagues, you wear a lot of hats, right? Yeah. And in my first job, again, I'm a broadcast journalism major. That, that's what I knew. But when they hired me, my first day of work was January 2nd or 3rd, whatever it was, 2007. And my first job, in essence, was, okay, we don't have a radio station. Go find a radio station. This is our this is our budget, and if you can get us on air for this amount of money, then you can broadcast on the air. If not, you're going internet only, wow. or, I mean, just go try and find a radio station. So that was my first job is trying to negotiate a, a radio contract. I didn't I had no experience doing that, um, not a ton of business experience, so that's that's kind of how it all worked out. I, I called all the radio stations, and, and again, you're in the Southern California market, yeah. um, which is not easy. Um, so we ended up on a station where the money was right, and it was an all-Spanish-speaking station until we hit the air. And you couldn't hear the station unless you were physically in the parking lot of the radio station, <laughs> which was 20 or 30 miles away from where the ballpark was. Oh, so, I, I mean, I was really fortunate. A, we were on the air. I brokered a deal. The price was right. It was fine. I learned a lot from it. But not a ton of people were listening to me in my first couple of seasons. And because of that, um, I was able to make a lot of mistakes. Right. And nobody really heard them. And I was okay with that. Um, I got to try a lot of things out. I got to find what my voice was like, and um, and it, it worked out for the best. It worked out for the best. So that was that was one job brokering um, our radio station contracts. Wow. I sold group tickets. I sold corporate sponsorships. I sold uh, season tickets. Uh, the, as mentioned, media relations. So I'm writing all the game notes. I'm in charge of all the transactions and sending them to the league. Um, I had to run our website. Social media was just coming onto the scene, so I had to create our Twitter page and our Facebook page and all that stuff. So, I mean, and then I had to call a game and then somewhat be prepared for it. Yeah. So you got all that other stuff out of the way. Oh, and I had to figure out what our press box food was every single night. So I had to 
get those contracts in and out. And my in, one of my interns' jobs not only was making a lot of copies and stapling things, but they had to go pick up the food if they didn't deliver it. So, I mean, those are all little things that I had to do over the course of the day. You had your checklists and yeah. is this done, is this done, is this done? And then, all right, it's game time. Hope you're prepared. So that was that was my three years in Rancho Cucamonga, basically, um, doing all of those different things. And, it, I mean, time management was huge. Yeah. Um, in in learning that craft and trying to get better as a broadcaster, it, it, a lot goes into it. I mean, holy crap. I mean, that's 15 <laughs> things that you just rattled off there. Like you just mentioned, like, obviously, after doing all of these things, you have to go on the air and actually call a game. Uh, with some yeah. somewhat preparation, what has your game prep been like? Obviously, from now to or then to now, it's evolved. Obviously, but what's your actual game prep like when it comes to like spotting charts and all of that stuff? Yeah, so for baseball, it's different. Um, when I was in the minor leagues, I'm doing all the the game notes and stuff. So doing the game notes, that's most of your preparation. So you're you're building that into your broadcast anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of it. But now that I'm not doing the game notes, because we have PR staffs and people can do that, um, it's mostly looking at things at a macro level. It's, it's waking up in the morning and seeing what is in the newspaper or what's, what's been written online about your team and about the team that you're playing against. Um, you mentioned spot boards. Being Bob Uecker's partner is totally different because right. we share a scorebook. Um, we're the only duo that shares a scorebook where we'll actually pass it back and forth between innings and the innings that we call. So I had to learn how he scores. I had to learn what he likes on his scorebook, uh, what he wants to look at. So my preparation is totally different when I work with Bob than when I work with somebody else. Or if I'm doing a television game, those are all different things. Um, you know, if, if I'm working by myself or I'm working with my other partner, then I will all scribble down notes on a separate piece of paper or on a, in a, you know, an iPad note or something like that, and we'll go from there and storylines. and It's mostly just keeping up to date with what's happening with our club, what's happening with the team that you're right. playing against, and then you've got bigger stories across the country that they try and follow too. So it's, it's local-level visiting team that macro is kind of how I go about my preparation now. Wow. And how easy or, I guess, difficult in a way was it for you to kind of build that trust and relationships with certain players, whether it was at Class A all the way up to your time now with the Brewers? Uh, it, it's, it's different. Um, again, you're in the, when you're in the minor leagues, you have so much access because you're doing so many different things. Right. They see you and they know what you're doing. Um, and, and you get to know these guys, you're on the buses with them traveling 16 hours from Springfield, Missouri to Corpus Christi, Texas. And I mean, you, you, you really get close with some of these guys, especially in the minor leagues, cause you're, you're doing the grind with them every day. Uh, but I like to spend time behind the cage. I like to spend time in the bullpen and just watch and, and you gain a lot of trust with those people. And a great line that I heard when I first got to the big leagues was be seen, but not heard. Yeah. Um, and in essence, it's you, you, fine, you're standing there behind the cage, but you don't have to have an agenda when you go and talk to somebody. If a conversation happens organically, they can come up to you and talk, or, hey, bud, how's it going? How's your family? I mean, you're just catching up and shoot the breeze. So you don't force yourself onto anybody else. Uh, but if they're, and if you're there and they want to talk to you, 
you're available. That's kind of that's kind of how I go about it. And I was like that in the minor leagues. And just hearing the phrase uh, once I got to the big leagues was really helpful too. Um, and, and there's a lot to be said about just being there and being seen. Yeah. Uh, but not necessarily having your voice be front and center. Now that being said, have you ever ran into any difficulties with any certain players over the past several years? No, I haven't. Uh, I've been very fortunate in that, um, and that goes along with the trust of, of having conversations with people and not breaking that trust. Yeah. Um, I haven't had issues with anybody. That, of course, there are your your turds that are in the clubhouse. Right, but you right. kind of you're clear of them and let them do their thing, and you don't ask much of them because they won't give you much anyway. So, again, it, it, if you seek out problems, you're in a clubhouse – you're going to be public enemy number one. So that that's something that I have never wanted to have happen, and I've been fortunate to never have it happen. Now, with your climb, obviously with the Brewers, you got uh, Big Ten as well as Fox Sports. Um, we just talked about your, your start in Class A. Obviously, you went to Springfield also in Double A. Was there ever any huge roadblock for you in your climb that made you think, like, this could be the end of my career, maybe I should pursue some more, something else? And how did you overcome that? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I would say after my three years at Rancho Cucamonga, um, because there was an ownership change, the team that I was working for um, had been purchased by another ownership group, um, and they had... They had, at the end of the 2009 season, it told me that I was going to come back, but not in a full-time capacity, but I was going to be a seasonal employee, and um, it was just, that, that was it. And I was, okay, that's, wow. that's no big deal, no problem, I'm, I'm happy to come back in a seasonal capacity, and then I'd say three or four weeks later, I got an email from an old buddy of mine that said, hey, listen, a pal of mine just sent me a note that says that he's the new broadcaster full-time at Rancho Cucamonga, so wow. where are you going? And I went, whoa, I didn't know about that. So uh, I went in and I talked to the people in Rancho and they said, yeah, we decided to make a change. We knew this guy from before, from our previous ownership groups in different places. He wanted to come to Southern California. So he's our guy. So they never told me anything. And I immediately sent my stuff to where he was, which is in Springfield, uh, in AA. And it, it ended up working out that I got the job. But if I don't get that job... Um, and I finished uh, as a runner-up for another position earlier in that off-season, so I was kind of between a couple of different places. But if I don't get either one of those jobs, my career really does come at a crossroads. What what do I do? Do I try and go back to Fox? Do I stay in Southern California? Do I move back home to Northern California? Do I go somewhere else? Do I try and become a news anchor? Do I try and be a sports anchor? Um, or do I just go on the production side? Like There were a lot of different things that I considered doing yeah. um, had I not got that job. But I ended up getting the job, and it worked out, and and here we are, but that, that off-season of 2009 where I was unemployed for two or three months, um, it was a scary time. It was a really, really scary time, and I had a lot of support um, from my family and from my now wife. We were, two, uh, we were boyfriend and girlfriend at that point, um, but it was it was a really scary time. That, that was the biggest crossroads of my career. At, at no point did I ever, when I was employed, did I say, man, I, if I don't get to triple a by next year if i don't get to the big leagues in the next five years i never had that yeah uh, i was just continuing to have a good time um and get better at what i was doing and i had faith that whether i, I just needed to keep going and keep going and good things were going to happen um but th those three months where i was unemployed and, and 
it was really scary. It was really scary. And, and my career could have gone in a totally different direction. That's absolutely nuts. I mean, have you had any, um, like, do you know anybody else who had an experience where they just weren't told? Because obviously minor league baseball can be a lot less organized than the professional level. Yeah, I've never heard anything on that level to where you had, quote-unquote, had a job and then yeah. it was just undercut from you. But, the, I mean, right now with what's going on with minor league baseball and teams that could be contracting or teams that are not contracting, um, there are a lot of people that are, are torn and they don't know what's, what's next um, and whether or not they're going to have a job if minor league baseball comes back or whether or not that city is going to be able to support a team again. Yeah. So that... It, they're in a really tough spot. My heart really goes out for those guys, too, because that's a tough, tough, tough situation to be in. I mean, that's going to be nuts moving forward. For you, though, like if that was the end, if you weren't in broadcast, you mentioned some of the other things that you would want to do. What exactly do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in broadcast? I, I don't know. I, I think had I not got that job with Springfield, I probably would have gone back to, to Fox and, and may have gone the production route. Uh, maybe I'm a producer now or an associate producer. I was on a pretty good track before I, I left to um, take my first play-by-play play gig in Rancho Cucamonga full-time. So I, I might have been able to jump back in after three years away and, and been okay with it. Um, there was a, a part of me that thought about going back and getting my master's in teaching and then coaching um, baseball. I mean, that was always a possibility. Whether or not I would have done it would have been a different story, but that was always something that intrigued me. So maybe maybe I would have been doing that. Maybe, again, maybe I'm in the production side. Maybe I'm teaching and coaching. I, I don't know. Um, I just don't know what it would have turned out to be. So for obviously guys like me who reach out to you, you're generous enough to take time out of your day to talk to me. Did you have any big mentors growing up when you were aspiring to be a young broadcaster? You know, obviously now getting to work with the likes of uh, Brian Anderson, who does TV for you guys, Bob Euchre, obviously a Hall of Famer. Do you have any, like, big mentors uh, growing up in the business? Yeah, my big one was Steve Fiziak, who's now the voice of the Royals. Um, when I first started at Fox, and, and even though our relationship goes back even a little further, he was a guest speaker at a class of mine when I was still in college, and his daughter was thinking about coming to Chapman. And when he came and spoke to my class, his daughter was on a was visiting with some advisors and whatnot while he spoke. And then I just stayed after class and, and talked to him for a couple of minutes and said, I think this is what I want to do. Uh, but I, while you're here, can I take you around campus and show you around? So we that's how I developed my relationship with Steve. And then lo and behold, a year later, I'm interning at Fox and then working Angels games, and I get to sit behind Fizz and, and HUD yeah. and get a media guide to get him food or whatnot. And, and we developed a really good relationship that we still have to this day. And he told me to go buy a recorder and go sit in the booth next door and call a couple of innings and then give him the tape and he'd listen to it. And the next day we'd talk about it. Um, and we did that for a whole summer. And it was it was really beneficial. And, and he was very helpful. He helped me in learning how to, to build my scorebook and, and how to prepare for things and, and maybe where to put some things so you know where they are. Just the, the sheer mechanics of, of keeping score and, and keeping things to where you can locate them quickly yeah. so you're not scattering papers all over the place um, and keeping things simple. 
he was huge, and he's still been huge. Um, where I've I've had opportunities to to move up, whether I was in the minor leagues, he would always make phone calls and, and be a reference for me. And even in the big leagues, where I've I've had a couple of opportunities that have come my way the last two or three years uh, to leave Milwaukee and and start somewhere else and, and go for a new job and for, in some cases better jobs. Yeah. Um, but Steve was a great sounding board for me and and hey weighing the pros and the cons and it's not just talking to mom and dad who are always going to be there for you and exactly, support you yeah. um, and even, even even listening to your stuff they're always going to tell you you sound great and you sound like crap mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily a good sounding board to have um, when you need the objective um, opinions so Steve has always been that way for me um, and he's been great and since I got to Milwaukee Brian Anderson's been phenomenal we play golf a lot my yeah. my wife calls him my work wife because nice. we play golf so much when we're on the road and stuff and we have a really good relationship so those Fizz and NBA have been far and away the, the two people that have been um, really really good sounding boards and you phenomenal he's a, a great human being yeah. he's helped me a lot along the way but the Fizz and NBA have been sensational now, when you first got the job with the Brewers, obviously, I, I've read about this, uh, meet, obviously having dinner with Bob Uecker. When did you first meet Bob Uecker, and like, obviously, when was that as entertaining as some people would? Yeah, it was, it was more entertaining than I think the, the common person would yeah. realize. Um, but I first met him, he was my final interview to get the job um, in 2014. Wow. It was... The day before Christmas Eve, 2014, and I flew down to Arizona and had dinner with him and his wife, and I showed up about 15 or 20 minutes before our reservation, and he was already sitting at the table because he got the time wrong, oh, but geez. who am I to tell him? <laughs> uh, within, within five minutes of our of our chat, um, the commissioner at the time, Bud Selig, comes walking around the corner, and you know the only person that can get away with calling the commissioner Al is... Yeah. Bob Uecker. So he goes, hey, Al, this is this is Jeff Levering. He's going to be working with us next year. And he, I didn't have the job. Um, so he, at that point, that was kind of him telling me that I had the job, but I still yeah. didn't have the job because my boss didn't tell me. Um, so, I mean, it was, a, it was a crazy dinner. It was a blast. He talked for about 80% of the three hours that we sat down <laughs> at dinner at Don and Charlie's in Scottsdale, but it was unbelievable. But if you don't pass that test... Yeah. Um, and you, and you come off poorly or if you think you're going to be there for an hour and you're only there for half an hour, you could be the team leads on that one. But yeah. we were there for three hours, and it, and it was a great, great beginning of our relationship, and uh, it's been nothing but sensational ever since. Now, when he says that, like, oh, he's going to be working with us next year and you didn't have the job yet, was there kind of like an inch of you that thought, well, maybe he's jumping the gun here and then ultimately I'm going to get the call and not get the job? First of all, I needed a new pair of pants because <laughs> I, I, you know, went both in, in my pants at the same time. But it was, it was. Um, I mean, I heard it, but then I also didn't want to believe it, and then, and then I also knew that he didn't, he wasn't going to be the one that was going to hire me. But then he doubled down at the end of the night. He's he's getting his car from the valet at the restaurant where we were eating, and he goes, "Okay, so we'll see you in a couple of weeks, right? Brewers on deck." And when I I do, I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't have the job. And then he goes, "No, no, no, it's okay. I'll I'll make a phone call." But then again, that's the day before Christmas Eve. I had to sit on that 
type of good news that I heard from Bob, but I didn't officially get my job offer until New Year's Day wow. of 2015. I didn't get it. I was watching the Rose Bowl, and, and that's when I got it. Um, and, and it was a, an easy no-brainer, but I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, I'm going to get this job. And you, you sit there, and every time your phone buzzes, yeah. you, it rings, you think it's going to be that. Um, but it didn't happen for a week. So it, it was it was a really anxious week no doubt about it oh my god and in that 2015 year obviously i mean a ton of great stories brian anderson bob Euchre, even uh joe block in 2015 you guys actually got stuck in the booth right like the door like the handle or the knob fell off yeah so bob and joe were broadcasting and and in my first year i didn't do home games i just did road games um and it was before i'd even made my major league debut on air which was nuts i I took six weeks into the season (laughs) before i was able to do a game that's nuts um so yeah we got locked in so the the door malfunctioned so it was uh bob and joe and myself bob's wife our producer kent and mary burns who is um bob's assistant and we were just stuck in the booth. We couldn't get out. And the only – we were trying to shove stuff underneath the door, but it was too too uh, too narrow, so we couldn't get anything underneath the door like a hammer or a screwdriver to, to pop the hinges off. Um, nothing was working, not from the outside, not from the inside. So finally in about the sixth or seventh inning after we've been stuck since the second, um, this ladder pops up in front of the booth and up climbs a guy and – with his tool belt on and he comes right in between Bob and Joe in the middle of the booth and Bob is like what is happening I can't believe it um it it was one of the more wild things that I've ever come across but we were trying to do as much as we could trying to open the door with knives um (laughs) trying to jimmy rig this thing the best we could it just wasn't happening thankfully nobody had to go to the bathroom or There was, there was a lot of different things at stake there, but it, it was a lot of fun. It was it was crazy. You look back and you go, man, that, that, I can't imagine trying to zip line out of the booth, but that, <laughs> it could have come down to that at some point. Now, when they're on the air, are they openly just talking about it, having a good time about it, or was it kind of like kept secret? I don't secret? know if they realized it. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think they once they realized it, maybe the fifth or sixth inning, uh, before the ladder came up to the front of the booth, um, maybe they realized it. Maybe uh, I, I don't know. Nobody tried to leave the booth. That's the thing, and nobody tried to come in. So we were wow. just doing our own thing, yeah. and they're working and trying not to be a distraction. And we got out of there thankfully. Wow. And and the one thing I wanted to ask him, always intrigued, uh, because obviously as a aspiring broadcaster, you have your blunders, you make your mistakes. You're talking about obviously building your craft and making a lot of those mistakes uh, when you were in Class A. Uh, have you had any really bad broadcast blunders in the booth over the last several years that you can recall? I don't know about blunders. Um, you know, I've never, I've never cursed on the air, right. which is good. Um, that is good. That's never happened. I've never had a big mistake or anything like that, thankfully, to this point. But I, I do remember the first broadcast I ever did. Um, even this was 2006, uh, 2006 when I first got asked to do the job, and um, it's the first baseball game I've ever done. It's the first game I'm ever going to do on radio. Um, and in Rancho Cucamonga, the booth is everybody's in the same booth, all the broadcasters. So you had the home. It was a, a television slash radio game for the Quakes. Their radio guys slid over and did television with an analyst. 
So he was in the same booth, the visiting radio guys in the same booth, the official score, the beat writer, and scoreboard operator are all in the same area. And then I was, there were some risers behind them where I was sitting. So you had three different broadcasts going on at the same time with all the other people. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. And I go down and do my pregame interview, and it's with Sean Rodriguez, who's still in the big leagues. Um, and I come back upstairs, and I'm about ready to feed it down to the radio station, and I realize that I didn't push play on the recorder. So I had to go down and do it again. So that, well, I'm already off to a great start. Yeah. Um, not pushing record. And then I'm so nervous and trying to figure out who these players are, and I'm just pounding waters. And by about the seventh inning, I, I really got to go to the bathroom. Um, and we didn't take, we had 60 second breaks. And um, we didn't take breaks for pitching change. And then the bottom of the seventh happens, and it's about a 10-run inning and three different pitching changes. And I'm standing back there doing the pee-pee dance in front of everybody. <laughs> and um, I'm either – I had to make a decision. Either I'm going to take the headset off and go run to the bathroom, and nobody's going to know what's happening. Or I grab one of these 32-ounce Arrowhead bottle um, bottles of water that's empty, and I just go. And so I, I picked option B, and I, I peed in a bottle on the air live. And um, you could tell in my voice <clears throat> just how relieved I was. Which yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was the first game I ever did. So if, if that's as bad as it gets, then, you know, that's the bar. And I, I said it pretty early on in my career. Great audible, Jeff. That, that's a great yeah. story. Yeah. Do you have obviously I don't know how close uh, closely you pay attention to student broadcasters, but for my sake, what would you say is the one or multiple biggest mistakes that young broadcasters like myself make today, whether it's actually on the air or even behind the scenes on like social media and stuff? Well, I, I really like to to get and give feedback to, to young broadcasters because in my life, like Steve Fiziok was one guy, like I talked about, that I would send my stuff to and he'd critique it, and it would be objective. Hey, how can I get better? How yeah. can I improve? So I really appreciate when people reach out, and I'm just doing my part to, to pay it forward, and, and hopefully the people that I help along the way can help somebody else, and it's kind of the circle of life and that. So I, I love getting tapes and demos from people and try and help them along the way, and, and it makes me feel good, and, and if they can improve and follow their dream, then that's that's even better uh but but a, a real common thing that i see a lot in, in young broadcasters that send me stuff it, it's it's kind of twofold and and you don't realize it until you do more of it yeah. uh, but it's it's you're trying to be too quick um and not not it's not you and not every I'm, this is just a general you're trying to be too fast you're trying to say too much uh, and you don't let the, the sport breathe, whatever the sport is. Um, even on the radio where you're having to describe everything and you're the eyes and the ears for the listener, you can still do so very delicately and you can have pauses of quiet. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so speaking too much and trying to go too fast and trying to do too much is, is very common. Um, and the other thing that I, that I run into... Um, quite a bit is is young broadcasters have mentors and they listen to their favorites and right. and they try and mix in their 
and it's just it's a, just a product of listening to these broadcasters. You try and do an impression of somebody else, or you take their home run call, or whatever it is. You try and copy their cadence because you don't know who you are as a broadcaster, um, and that just takes time doing it and, right. and feeling out who you are. Like in the beginning, I was. Uh, again, making mistakes in front of nobody, I, I basically tried to turn it into a stand-up comedy routine and do impressions of other people and stuff. And yeah, my mom and dad might have thought it was funny, but I sounded like an idiot. Yeah. Um, so it, it's you don't have to do that kind of stuff. Find your voice and, and find who you are. Find your tempo. And again, it, it only comes with, with doing games, and that's the only way you're going to get better. Um, but those are the two big things. Not Not knowing who you are and it comes with time and and trying to do impressions of, of other people and, and using their run calls and things of that nature don't fall into that into the dropping cliches all over the place right. you're not a sports center anchor and you don't have to do that kind of stuff um, just find your own voice and, and that stuff will come on its own when you mentioned impressions, I was actually a buddy of mine, Alex Fuse, who you talked to a few months back. I was listening to that episode, and you were talking about um, how someone came up to you and asked for your autograph because they thought you were Matt Damon after they had, had shot uh, The Departed. Someone actually came up to you and thought you were Matt Damon? I mean, I guess I could see that resemblance. Yeah, no, and especially when I was younger and I didn't wear glasses, yeah. it was it was a little easier. Um, but I, one thing that I had going in my favor is that they were filming the movie The Departed right outside of the bar that I was in. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it was reasonable that he could have physically been in that bar. So I was wearing a hat, and, I mean, the girl that came up and talked to me was not sober by any stretch, <laughs> also another positive in my, in my favor. Uh, but it was... It was cool. There are a couple of people that have um, dropped a resemblance of, of myself and Matt Damon in the past, and uh, I'll never forget that time in, in Boston where, where that girl actually thought I was Matt Damon, and we had a, a 10 or 15-minute conversation about it, and I signed a coaster, and I went, I'm never going to see this person again. Why not? Oh, so you actually um, played it off. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah I, played it, I played it out, no doubt. Nice. Uh, this piano bar had a, a bowl of clam chowder and had some beers, and we had a good time, and the 15 minutes of her thinking I was Matt Damon, and I signed a coaster at the end of the night for her. Hopefully, it's it's a moment she never forgets, or maybe she forgot it the next day because she yeah. was hammered. I don't know. <laughs> see, that, that kind of makes sense because if you put your pictures side by side, I can see it. I was in, uh, I think I was in Jacksonville, Florida for whatever I was there for, but there was a pro wrestling event there, and there was this wrestling fan that came up to me and thought, asked for my autograph, asked for a picture because he thought I was Chris Jericho, who's a famous nice. WWE wrestler, which I have long blonde hair, like there's that, maybe that's what he thought, but I'm like 165 pounds, Chris Jericho's <laughs> got to be like 235 pounds, you know? Like, he couldn't have been more on. Was this person uh, inebriated at the time, or were just, hey, man, that's... No, I mean, we were getting on a plane. He's like, hey, can I get your autograph? Like, you got a big match coming up. I don't want to bother you. I'm like, dude, if if I'm in that match, I'm getting my ass kicked, dude. (laughs) I I weigh, like, 75 pounds less muscle than Jericho does. That's okay. That's good. That's good to be... I mean, mine was Matt Damon. That's a pretty good one. He won an Oscar. Yeah. Jericho's a pretty good one, too. I'm happy with... Yeah, I would be, too. Take it. Run with it. Uh, another uh, uh, question that Alex asked you that I thought was pretty cool because uh, my family is a part of this cult too uh, was that if you had to be in one band, you chose the Dave Matthews band. Mm-hmm. Big Dave yeah, Matthews guy. 
Yeah, I like Dave. It just it, it brings me back to to my high school years and um, in my college years, and it, it brings me back to a good place mentally, which is nice. Um, I, I just like his stuff. And funny thing is, I've never seen him in concert. I need to yeah. go see him in concert. I've only seen two concerts in my entire life, which is insane. Um, like I actually purchased tickets to go to a, a physical concert. Wow. Um, I just don't go to a lot of concerts, weirdly enough. <laughs> um, but it's. It, that would be one that I would want to go to. Unfortunately, they're always in the summertime and yeah. slightly busy in the summer months. I understand. I mean, for, for my family, it's like a cult. Like, if you don't like Dave Matthews, like, I'm, I like his music, but I'm not a diehard Dave Matthews guy. And I went to, uh, he performed at the Innings Festival in Tempe this past year. And I went and my brother's like, how is it? I'm like, all right, this is pretty good. This is probably one of the best shows I've been to. I'll admit it. He's pretty. Yeah, he's pretty special. He's, he can he can really play the guitar, and I really appreciate that. And, and he's very unique with his uh, with his voice. There, there aren't yeah. a lot of voices like his. And they're one of the very few bands that kind of rose as a live band. Because even my brother says, "Yeah, I can't listen to his studio stuff. You got to listen to the live stuff." Right, I agree with that too. I totally agree with that. So the last thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, I don't want to take too much of your time on this Memorial Day, but I wanted to get um, your take on this. Like, What would be your biggest goal moving forward as a broadcaster? I, I don't know if there's a, in, in terms of getting better or a specific job, what's, what specify a little bit more? Just in a sense of uh, obviously getting better. Like obviously, you're with the radio, uh, with the Brewers right now. Like, What would be the biggest uh, next thing on the ladder that you would want to climb and achieve? Well, I mean, I mean I'm in a really good place right now um, being the kind of 1A guy next to Bob yeah. to where we work together, and then when Bob and I don't work together, I become the lead. So I'm, I'm in a really good place, but there's going to be a time. I mean, he's 86 years old. Um, there's going to be a time when he's not there and, and being a lead is, is, it's very attractive. And, um, at some point I hope that that's there. Um, but I hope Bob hangs around for another hundred years too. You just never know. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really attractive thing and, and kind of the next step. Um, I think I, I'd like to get better and have a couple of extra opportunities doing some television games. I think I, I had some room to improve on the, the baseball side of things. I've done a couple of national games the last few years. Uh, was scheduled to do a couple this year, but obviously with what's going on, that's not happening. Um, and so that's that's somewhere where I'd like to improve. And as a goal, you get better, and, and just that comes with opportunities. Um, in the college basketball side, I, I feel really comfortable with what I'm doing, but I can always improve there. Yeah. Uh, and doing maybe some college football in the future. So just just trying to get more opportunities to, to grow and um, and get my get my name out there and get my work out there a little bit more. Uh, I think I think that would all be part of the the goal and and just continue to improve and and never be content uh, yeah. with what I'm doing and, and making sure that that people like you or, or Alex or whoever reach out um, they like my work and that that they trust me enough to send their stuff and, and have me critique that's that's a a really big sign of flattery too wow and when you obviously you played baseball in college but when you went into broadcasting you mentioned obviously college basketball football baseball was there any specific sport that you wanted to call more than anything but, I mean, I knew baseball the best yeah I knew baseball the best so that was going to be my sport that I wanted to call um 
professionally. That's where I wanted to start, but it's a, it's a hard thing to get into. So are basketball and football too. They're really they're really hard sports to get into. Uh, there are more baseball jobs because of the minor leagues, um, but it's it's tough to do that. So uh, baseball was was my number one passion, and ended up working out to where that's where I got my start, and I was very lucky about that. Like, if you ever got an opportunity to call like a boxing match or even like a UFC fight, would you be all over that, or would that be like way out of your comfort zone? I, I would not be opposed to it. So. Um, I think getting out of your comfort zone is a good thing for your career. One of the one of the things I did in college was a lacrosse match. Yeah. And I had never watched lacrosse. I, <laughs> I didn't know anything about lacrosse. And um, and getting out of my comfort zone was was really good for me. Um, and you can learn a lot about what you do and, and about other sports and and your style uh, by getting out of your comfort zone. I, I would, if those things were offered, I'd obviously do my research and, and figure out what I was going to be talking about, uh, clearly. Uh, but getting out of your comfort zone is not a bad thing. It's, it's not a bad thing to try different things. And yeah. you'd be amazed at how much you can learn by doing that. Are you going to start your run today? Obviously, Memorial Day to Labor Day is today the start date. Today is the start date. So I, haven't, I, was, I usually am a morning runner. Um, but my wife had some stuff going on and I was with the kids today, so I haven't had my run, but as soon as we get off the phone, it is run time and it is hot today in Wisconsin. <laughs> well, I'll let you get to it, man. Jeff, thanks so much for taking time out of your day, being generous enough uh, to talk to me. Happy Memorial Day. Hope everybody stays safe during this time and hopefully you'll be back in the booth at some point this year. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Pleasure right. talking with you. I'm so listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube